dealt with Mr. Mr. Uh, lawyer over there. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> uh, he's a centrist. Okay, here we are. Hammer Factor episode number 12. I don't have a name for this, but on the horn we have Whitewater legend and owner of Immersion Research, John Weld. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Well, thanks for coming back for another recording. Right. Also on the horn, we have poker champion and kayaker and outdoor alliance council, Lewis Geltman. How are you doing, Lewis? I'm good. Looking out the window. Looks like North Dakota here. I'm kind of over it. But... Yeah. Well, we got some rain here in Asheville. Everything's running. Hmm. So I'm going kayaking really? in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, I did the uh, Paddle the Upper this weekend. It's crazy. 60, 60 degrees we put on. Yeah. I was I in w- shorts. I went over and paddled the Big South Fort Gorge, Big South Fort Gorge, which I'll get into a little later. And we were uh, doing a little trail run out there, and we were swatting mosquitoes. Right. So how right. weird is that? Kayaking, sport yeah. of the future. Man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Lewis, what? Facebook about. <laughs> and and Rush told me the level was at least two tenths higher than it actually was, which is was pretty standard. I think he's now officially added to the list of people who you have to subtract two tenths from whatever he told the level is. <laughs> he, he's joined the general public. <laughs> well, Lewis, last time uh, last time we were talking to you, you were headed into. Uh, actually see the hearing for uh zinky what is the uh t- tell me about your trip up there in, in washington yeah that's right so i i came back from chile and went straight to dc um and i went last tuesday to go check out the uh confirmation hearing for ryan zinky who's a congressman from montana as the nominee to be the new secretary of interior so i'd never been to one of these things before so i uh put on the suit lives in the closet at my mom's house what's the what's the uh what's the secretary of interior what's that job entail i mean what's what's the uh what's the job description secretary of the interior is the person who runs the, the interior department which oversees national park service bureau of land management fish and wildlife service uh and then some other kind of like more obscure agencies like uh I don't know. I can't remember the name of it. Like the agency manages oil development on like the outer continental shelf. And, uh, I think NOAA is in the department of interior USGS. Basically it's everything land management except for forest service, which is in the department of agriculture. (laughs) So basically secretary of the interior is, is the most important person on public lands policy in the new administration. So, so yeah, so I went down to the hill to go check out the confirmation hearing and the way that works is, uh, like Senate, Senate energy and natural resources committee, which kind of has jurisdiction over public land stuff. All the senators are kind of like at the front of the room sitting, sitting around in kind of a half circle. And then in front of them is, uh, Zinke, the nominee. And so they, you know, the senators make some like opening statements, then he makes an opening statement, and then they just ask him a bunch of questions about, you know, kind of like his philosophy on public land stuff, votes he's taken in the past. Some of them use it as kind of an opportunity to just sort of complain about the Department of Interior <laughs> or things that they're upset about. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it went on for, I want to say like four hours. Wow. So how many, what's the makeup of the Senate in front of them? Is it is it mostly Republican or is it? pretty bipartisan it's so it's that committee which is i think maybe like 15 senators more republicans than democrats since the republicans have a majority but uh you know pretty close to even like if there are 15 senators it's probably like nine and six or something like that so what is he getting yeah is he get? i mean is he is he seeing any kind of controversy like some of the other uh, appointees, or is it pretty? This one pretty straightforward. Like the education uh, girl. Did you guys see her thing? Or tell Bet- her Betsy DeVos. All right, sorry, we digress. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> he so 
you know, I, I guess I'll just say that, you know, we did really well compared to some of the other nominees. Like, this is not Scott Pruitt, the guy who's nominated to lead EPA and has spent his entire career trying to destroy the EPA. You know, Zinke, I think, you know, we'll, we certainly have some disagreements on public lands policy. And, uh, you know, I think that we'll still be playing plenty of defense. But, you know, he's on the the House committee that's kind of the counterpart to that Senate committee, like the House committee that manages public lands issues. And he's taken some, some pretty hard votes against, uh, you know, what the Republican leadership wanted him to do. Like he's kind of stood up for public land stuff in the past. He's, uh, you know, expressed a lot of admiration for Teddy Roosevelt, said he wants to be like Roosevelt, which is, you know, some pretty big shoes to fill. But, uh, you know, better saying that than that he wants to be like the next Gail Norton or James Watt or something like that. So, uh, I don't know. It was interesting. I, you know, I thought there were a lot of questions from Democrats and Republicans about recreation issues, like more than I think we would have expected. Um, you know, Zinke was real firm in his opposition to transferring public lands to the states or privatizing public lands, which is, you know, it seems like kind of a low bar, but it's that's where we are, and it's you know a big deal to hear him say that. So that was good. Um, so what's it? What, what what kind of room are you in? Like I'm just trying to visualize. Is this public can come in? Do you have to be invited? What what's going on? Yeah, so it's like it kind of looks like a courtroom, like but there's more seats in the front, and then there's like kind of an audience and the. You know, Zinke sits kind of where the like defendant would basically <laughs> just like right in the front of the room with all the senators sitting around him. Um, you can watch all this stuff on C-SPAN if you ever have any inclination to do so. Like if you look on the you know the committee website, there'll just be a link and you can you know just watch it all streaming. Um, but I went down there and I was an hour early and uh, there was a huge line of people trying to get in and I had to watch the first half of it from like a overflow room just on like simulcast. Um, there was a guy down there like dressed as Teddy Roosevelt. There were, uh, <laughs> a, lot of, um, a lot of people from like not it's like ours, you know, who are there just to kind of like take it all in. A lot of congressional staff, but it's all open to the public. You can go. Check this stuff out if you want to. So did they did they bring up this House Rules package that I've been that's been all yeah. in my newsfeed lately? Yeah. So just to maybe uh, bring everybody up to speed on that for a sec, there was this is kind of when I was out, but uh, one of the first things the House did was pass this rules package. So every Congress kind of sets the rules for their own operation, and one of the things the new Congress did is. Uh, or in the House specifically, is they kind of set this budgetary rule. So anytime there's legislation, it it gets a score, which means basically like what its effect will be on the budget. So something that generates revenue would have, you know, like a positive score and something that costs money would have like a negative score. And they set this rule that said that transferring public lands or giving away public lands would just score neutral. So even though they obviously have an unbelievable value, you know, invaluable, maybe even they just said, if we give these things away, we're going to treat it as if it has no effect on the budget. And so, you know, it doesn't actually transfer any land yet, but it just kind of shows how this Congress is thinking about public lands issues, which is that they're thinking about giving away public lands. And so this did come up in that confirmation hearing because Zinke had voted for the rules package um, and, you know, the way he characterized it was that this is a shot across the bow. And he said that it's just an indication of, uh, the frustration that a lot of Republicans have with land management stuff, but that, you know, it didn't necessarily have any effect or it didn't have any effect until we, people gave it effect. And she said, you know, I think I want to say it was Senator Heinrich from New Mexico, who's like awesome on public land stuff. He asked Zinke if this is something he would have voted for if it were standalone, and Zinke said he would not have, like, very clearly. So that was good to hear. I mean, I think it would have been easy to give a kind of evasive answer there, and he he was pretty clear about it, so that was good. 
So where the contention comes in on this transfer of public lands, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that people have a portion of taxes from everybody who pays taxes has went for years and years and years and years to manage, purchase, keep this federal land as federal land, maintain it. And now there's a group that wants to transfer this land without compensating the taxpayer who has spent years sort of paying into this um, anything and just make it a, what would you call it, a neutral transfer? Is that is that where the... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not so much the, the financial aspects of it that are troubling. It's just that it shows that people in Congress are very actively considering transferring public lands to the states. You know, it's not, the concern is not the effect on the budget. The concern is that these guys are thinking about getting rid of public lands. Hmm. So, Well, you'll have to keep us up to speed on that one. Sounds like a, sounds like a, an interesting trip. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was definitely a kind of like a shock to the system coming from Chile and I'm, you know, like nose is peeling and kind of raggedy. You're one up on the Teddy Roosevelt guy. And so I went and found like the clippers she has for the horse to like trim my beard. Well, once again, go to Outdoor Alliance website, sign up for the newsletter, become a member of American Whitewater. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we're all behind you there, Lewis. That's that's really cool stuff, yeah. man. I like to tell Thanks. people I I know you and you do stuff like that. Oh, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So I think I told you guys, but our celebrity guest canceled on us today. So right, snow. There's too much snow where this person is. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, not to give away who our celebrity guest is, which I won't, but I'm pretty sure in the deal he promised a some free gear to all of our listeners for not being around. Great. So we'll hold him a to A coupon that. or something we can yeah. use yeah. this code at checkout. Exactly. So we'll, uh, we'll hold him to that when we get him on Great. next week. I think um, it's prudent. But moving on, let's uh, be in that it is winter. Although it doesn't feel like winter here in the southeast, I know that you're deep in it, Lewis, where you're at, if it looks like North Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not having a winter up, up there, are you, Will? No, it's 50 degrees and raining right now. 50 degrees and raining. But yeah, winter kayaking is a thing that has caught on, I think, a lot more in the past six or eight years. I really think that has to do with dry suit technology. No doubt. Um, There's no question about that. You know, but let's uh, let's let's do a little discussion about winter kayaking. I kind of have my thoughts on it, and uh, but let's 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 throw it up to the frozen tundra up there. What's your thoughts on winter kayaking? And uh, and man, this is kind of hard because I think we've all been kayaking in the winter forever. And we're kind of the minority here, I think, is like the general viewer. But give me, give me some thoughts on uh, on on winter kayaking when the season comes up for you, Lewis. And and it's the best, man. I mean, we have. I mean, winter is kind of the season in the Northwest. It's yeah, I'd say like January through May is really the main season, but I'd say January, February, March is really like the best. Like when we usually have the best water out here, not as many people. Um, it's pretty yeah. temperate, right? I mean, you guys don't typically have freezing yeah. temperatures. Yeah, I mean, we've had this crazy winter here that I've thankfully missed the brunt of, but I mean, there's been snow on the ground here for like six weeks straight, which is super unusual. And it's, you know, not cracking in the mid thirties. I think it was much colder than that while I was gone. But yeah, usually it's much more temperate, like 40s most of the winter. But yeah, I mean, like I remember when I first moved out to the Northwest and people from back home would be like, oh my God, like you guys kayak all winter in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, it's like nothing compared to winter kayaking in West Virginia or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
where it's it's humid and 20 degrees. <laughs> yeah. I remember learning the Blackwater in the winter one time when I was a kid, and you know, like the bank clock and Thomas said that it was like like 17. 10. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I definitely, definitely did not have a dry suit. Like when I got to the takeout, I like I couldn't even carry my boat. I had to just like leave it down by the river and like go warm up in the car before I could go back and get well, it. Well, that that reminds me of a day time we were paddling. We were doing uh, we were doing drakes. This would have been a long time ago. And you were a kid. You were probably in high school. And you and your your crew, I forget, I'm sure Ryan Bond was there, <laughs> but you and your crew went, we were going to do Drake's, and you guys showed up, and you were in slalom boats with, like, bare feet. It was, you didn't have slalom boats, but you had some really crappy plastic boats. And there was snow on the ground, and I'm like, man, <laughs> these kids think they're, like, badass because they can, they can walk around in snow in the bare feet. But I'm, I'm like, if sure. anything happens, it's going to be a huge pain in the ass for everybody, you know? I'm sure that that attitude came directly through your lineage somehow. That was like, <laughs> and like you and Andy Bridge and like, <laughs> like somebody probably wore shoes to the river one day and you probably like called them a cupcake and like, <laughs> beat them mildly and like <laughs> never. Uh, well, well, this you know, is weird because we had, we had like a prophet. It was like Tom McEwen, the prophet and his message could be interpreted many different ways, you know? Whether it meant you were eating eating dinner <laughs> off of a flat rock because you just didn't bother to bring plates, or <laughs> you're jumping off the cheap bridge, which is about 80 feet tall when you're 14 because <laughs> no one's telling you not to. Yeah, t- that actually was a. Uh, I was a junior counselor at Valley Mill, and there was a bunch of counselors are going to jump off the bridge at the end of the river. And they're asking me if I was going to jump, but I was thinking there's no way Tom's going to let me jump. Tom was on the river that day. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm doing it. And we got to the bottom and then everyone's going to jump. And I was like, hey, Tom, I'm going to go jump off the bridge. And he's like, okay. I was like, oh, no. And I had to do it. I had the exact same experience there. I was like, well. I was like, there's no way Tom's going to let me do this. I landed like probably 45 degrees. In the yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I, I remember going kayaking with my dad and his friends when I was young, 13 years old or something in the winter. And that they, you know, gear, which is what I'm going to bring, wrap this around to eventually. The gear was weak. You know, I had like this crappy wetsuit on. And I couldn't hardly move my arms, and it was like, it was like a like a wetsuit top. It wasn't like a full body wetsuit. And I remember my feet were freezing. And so my dad and all his friends got the idea to put uh, plastic bread bags around my socks. So like mm-hmm. they they took tape and put bread bags around my socks while they were all wearing like neoprene booties and whatnot. Right. But we were the only people on the river and now you can go to the river in the winter and uh, there can be, I mean, the parking lot can be full and I fully attribute that to gear because none of us are running around barefoot or with bread containers on our shoes or wetsuits or whatnot. Right. Um, I had the, uh, I had like the five mil Burt Reynolds style wetsuit with like a beaver tail remember the beaver tail oh yeah oh yeah for sure. <laughs> between your legs it went up and buttoned yeah oh, and then a sick. wool sweater and it had like two like metal turnbuckles on it to close it and you were happy this... to have it is the thing I, I at least i was when i put that thing on i was like oh, uh, well what this. was what were your choices my yeah. dad's like we're going canoeing you know <laughs> and uh we're going to run antietam creek and uh it's march <laughs> 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 Here's your whole sweater and wetsuit. Let's go. Oh, so being prepared for the weather. What, like, realistically, what you know, if you guys, either one of you, I'll throw this question out to both of you. What do you, what do you need to go out paddling on a day when it's 38 degrees, the water's flowing good, and you're going to be on the river for four or five hours? Well, you need an IR dry suit. That's an obvious, <laughs> completely obvious answer. All IR, everything. Yeah. Well, here's what, here's what I tell people when they call for what it's worth. You know, so, and uh, this may be old news to people paddling for a while, but 
maybe some some new movies out there that can benefit from this. If if the if the old rule is if the air temperature and water temperature add up to less than a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you know, there should be some concern in the back of your head about hypothermia if you're going to be in the water for a long time. And that would mean like if you're far away from shore or you're going to be soaking wet because you're in the middle of nowhere. Um, and really the cheapest way to, to deal with that, even still, is a wetsuit. I mean, you can get a wetsuit, like a surfing style wetsuit that's pretty comfortable. And they're safe, man. You won't get hypothermia. You'd have to be hard pressed to paddle in cold enough weather to get hypothermia in a wetsuit, even a farmer chon. And they're inexpensive and there's low maintenance. Um you know, so if you're only paddling in freezing cold weather once or twice a year, you know, for whatever reason, you know, wetsuit might be a fine alternative for some people. But if you're paddling 40 or 50 days a year, you know, in cold weather, you know, that's where it might be worthwhile to really invest in a dry suit. Because, I don't know, it's a game changer, right? I mean, a dry, a good dry suit changes everything. In the words of Andrew McEwen, it makes a hardcore attitude obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> It does, and I'm not sure the, the the wetsuit is as warm as you were portraying it, John. I've got I've about froze my ass off in a wetsuit before. Well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it depends on a bunch of things, but you know, I mean, it's it would it would I think it's functional in pretty cold weather for sure for keeping good hypothermia. You know, you may be miserable. Pogies? The, the other the other side of that coin is they're hot. I mean, they have one temperature setting. You're if it's even the slightest bit warm out, you're going to be scorching in one of those. True, you can layer up differently underneath your dry suit. Yeah. Pogies, yes or no? Pogies, of course. I know Gelman out west says in, in, in the Pacific Northwest a different attitude about this. I think they kind of poo-poo pogies. But I don't know how you'd possibly keep your hands warm enough out here without pogies. I don't think it's possible. Like, what? right? Help me out here, Grace. I'm pro-pogies. I'm a, I'm a pogie guy all the way. Even if I only wear them, it seems like I can get away with wearing them for the first 20 minutes and then I can kind of get rid of them. But... I always have them with me. I mean, it can be 50 degrees and I have them with me. All right, Gelman, shoot us down. Come on. Oh, I mean, if you're soft and that's what you need to <laughs> get through. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There All right. We go. <laughs> All right. Well, this leads me into uh, some viewer mail, and we're going to put John Weld here on the hot seat, which right. is just always so exciting and fun. Um, yeah. Big thanks, big hat tip here to Jason Hart for throwing in this viewer mail. Uh, we, I love all the viewer mail, and our producer, our show producer, we brought on Charlie Kearns. I don't know if you guys know Charlie Kearns, but she is going to be our show producer, and she'll be much better at getting back to the viewer mail than I am. So for the people who imagine that sent some stuff in, well... <laughs> Every once in a while, I check out the Facebook page, and it says like, like fifty percent response rate, like <laughs> average response time or something. Like that. Too much. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do my best. So anyway, Charlie's going to be way more on top of that. So, but we do love our viewer mail. I love reading through them, and I spent the other day reading through about forty of them, and one jumped out at me, and this is from Jason Hart. Um, Jason says, <clears throat> I want a sales pitch from John Weld on why mm. I should buy an IR dry suit over other manufacturers, specifically the Kokatat Idol. He says, I have three pieces of IR gear. An LS Session semi-dry top, which sucks and never kept me dry, he says. Um, Oof, right? An SS Rival semi-dry top, really, really like and does keep me dry. Lucky mm-hmm. Charm skirt, love it, even even on my leaky Liquid Logic kayak rim. Right. I'm in the market for a dry suit, am fat, sweat a lot, and paddle mostly class three and four. I'm from Rich, Richmond, Virginia, so I'd love to support IR, but I'm afraid of plunking down serious coin for a dry suit. Coquitet has the two-piece factor, which is great, and Gore-Tex, so I need a sales pitch on why IR's membrane is at least as good, if not better, than Gore-Tex. Give me some science. That's Boy. hot seat, buddy. Woo. Okay. All right. This is going to take about an hour and a half to answer. So if you guys want to get some lunch or something. Uh, all right. Let's make this, let's make this as quick, quickly and succinctly, as succinct as possible. Okay. In terms of his gear analysis, a long sleeve session was a jack we made a number of years ago. It was meant to be a very, very lightweight, very breathable 
jacket. Um, and the problem with those is while if you live in the East Coast, you love to have a lightweight, breathable jacket, they're just not that durable. Um, and that's why we stopped making them. The short sleeve rival was the the next generation of that which we, we made with more of a dry top weight fabric. They're not as, not as breathable as the session was, but they last forever. And skirts, of course, we all know everyone loves IR skirts. So You need to um, tell him to go up to the uh, Royal Flush from the Lucky Charm. Um, I'm gonna you know, it. really, okay, to be honest with the same skirt, the, the Royal has uh, Kevlar on it. You know, Kevlar is great if for whatever reason you're really hard on skirts. And there's, there could be many reasons for that, including bat or, you know, boat design with a higher cockpit rim with, you know, makes you hit your skirt harder with your paddle. But anyway, um, so dry suits, you know, he mentions Gore-Tex uh, right off the bat. Um, you know, Kokatat has an exclusive license for Gore for paddle sports in the United States. Um, but the thing about Gore-Tex is, you know, the, the main technology that Gore-Tex uses is a Teflon-based laminate, um, which is one of two main ways to make a breathable laminate. Uh, and, you know, they lost their patent. They didn't lose. Their patent expired on that in the, in the mid-90s. Um, so, you know, it's we could go out and make a, a Gore clone. You know, we could go out and just knock off exactly what they make. And we've, in fact, made dry suits out of material that is strikingly similar to the Coca-Tad Gore-Tex. Um, there's some advantages to the Gore-Tex, Coca-Tex Gore-Tex, and there's some disadvantages of it. Um, I, you know, I think Coca-Tex is a great company. They make a great product, so I, I don't want to, you know, go into exact details of what the pros and minuses of that are. Um, you know, we use another technology that we have been developing for, well, 18 years on and off uh, that we're very proud of in terms of specific, specific breathable laminate for paddle sports, which is extremely difficult environment for a breathable laminate. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's very high pH, or I'm sorry, very low pH in the armpit of these garments, and they fall apart. Um, you know, early on, we were certainly made some bad garments, uh, and we learned a lot. But I think nowadays, um, you know, 18 years in, um, we've we've really developed a great laminate for paddle sports. Uh, I'll let Lewis or someone who's been using our dry suits for a while. They can talk about the durability here in a second. Um, but what we're, what also you need to talk about in terms of a dry suit is how it's put together um, and how it's going to get serviced post-sale, you, you know, because it's not just about the fabric, it's how it's been taped and how it's been designed and how specific the the manufacturing process has been made towards whitewater kayaking. And to be honest, it's not rocket scientists. I mean, it's not an easy job, but it's not exceedingly difficult. It's just there's not that many companies out there who are that concerned about making a dry suit strong enough for whitewater paddlers. There's not a lot of money in it. And to be honest, uh, most big outdoor companies would could think of a million ways to spend their money besides doing that. Um, but the couple of us that are, that are very concerned with it, Kokatat is certainly one, and I think we're certainly another. Um, and what that means is we take we take how the, how these garments are taped and how they're assembled and how, where the seams are placed very seriously. Um, and then the final piece of the puzzle is, is at some point the suit's going to need to be serviced. Uh, dry suits, you know, they're very difficult to keep dry forever for whatever reason. The, the gaskets tear or the feet start to leak or you puncture holes in it for whatever reason. Um, you, you, you need a company that has a repair site that's easy to, easy to reach, you know, so we have a full factory um, in Pennsylvania that we do repairs every day. We have a person, full-time person on staff doing it, as does Kokotat. Uh, so I honestly think either either one of our brands is a great choice. Kokotat's two-piece suit, um, you know, that's not a revolutionary idea. Everyone's looked at doing that, who's thought about making dry suits. Um, the zipper company that makes their zippers came up with that idea, or they, they made it possible a couple of years ago. We passed on it. The reason I don't care for it is that, um, you know, you have a big zipper that has to fit around your shoulders, and that sits around your waist like a, like a barrel stave or a barrel ring, as far as I can tell. Um, nonetheless, I know it's been a very popular suit for them, and I know people love it. So, uh, you know, that's just my opinion on it. Uh, well, I want to – yeah. let me put my opinion on the two-piece and yeah. this, this – not to um, throw a poo-poo on the two-piece idea because I do know that a lot of people um, like them. But yeah. I, I go from a dry suit to pretty much a shorty top. There's like – there's no in-between. Like I'll wear my dry suit up until – you know, I'll just put shorts and a cotton T-shirt under it up until it's time to just be done with it and go to a pair of shorts with, with some kind of other top. So for me, that wouldn't really be a humdinger, but I'm not your – Normal guy. Everybody I've seen who's had that that two piece Coca Tat suit has, and I'm not saying this is a 
knock on Kokatat, but more just that specific idea. Like people are not stoked on it. It's like there's like a bolt that kind of sticks out. It's like a pain to take on and off. I would I would shy away from that thing if that were me. Yeah, it's kind of well. The thing is, is that we when we looked at it, you know, to fit a jacket over your shoulders, the opening needs to be at least forty to forty-five inches. You know what I mean to get over your shoulders. Um, and those zippers don't stretch. And so that is, you're going to have a 45-inch ring of some plasticky material around your, your waist when that thing zippered up. Um, ha- however, I, I know I know that they sell a lot of them. So uh, that, that's obviously not an issue for some people. I've, I've never even tried one on. So, you know, I've I've talked with the guys at Cocotat about it. And I've seen them in person, but I've never tried it on. So I can't say exactly what, Lewis, what give it's me, like to wear it. What, what dry suit do you wear, Lewis? And how's it working for you? Seven figure. That's awesome. I think mine's, I want to say it's like two and a half years old at this point. I've yet to send it back for anything. Uh, How many days a year do you wear that suit, do you reckon? 100 or 150, maybe. Right. That's impressive. Um, That's what we're shooting for. I mean, I like to think that an average user would get 10 years worth of use out of that suit without anything happening. I got a lot of miles on it. And, uh, been awesome i mean and as well can attest i'm not shy about complaining about gear when it's no not, uh, not suiting me <laughs> no that is true nor yeah. am i nor am i That's good well there's no doubt uh there's no doubt and you know not trying to you know, ruffle any feathers here, John, but there's no doubt that six years ago there was a big difference between a IR dry suit and a Kokatat dry suit, but there is also no doubt that that gap has become a lot narrower if it even exists. So I just think it's cool to see the innovation, and I think it's cool to see people paddling, so many people paddling year-round. I mean, because... The water, it, you know, in the spring, I'm just talking from a southeast perspective. I'm not getting into California or your backcountry or whatever. But in the spring and summer, you, yeah, you get water that runs, but it, it comes up real high and it drops out really fast and you really can't plan on it and whatnot. But here, I mean, you get, you know, a, a rainy pattern and you can predict your weekend, you know, 8 or 10, 15 days in advance. So it's just better paddling. In the southeast, you can see all the cliffs and everything that are normally hidden by the jungle. I just went to the Big South Fork over this weekend, and you know it was rolling at like 4,500 CFS. And I don't know. Don't stay inside. Went paddling in the winter is a great. It's a great opportunity, and with the gear that is available nowadays, that like you say, manufacturers we hear it right here from a manufacturer, the gear is made to last for a decade. At least that's the goal. Um, you know, get out there and and go paddling. Right now that ski resorts will probably be out of business in ten years. This is a good investment in your your yeah. uh, <laughs> lifetime fitness here. Yeah, <clears throat> you know it's no joke. There's a you know the ski resorts around here are sending people on caving trips and all this other thing and, and things and trying to. Uh, Workout deals where they get a percentage of the caving trips for people who want to go up to ski, and there's nothing. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, this it's the time of year to go paddling right now in the southeast. And I mean, I guess it's a little cold right now where you're at, Lewis, but typically it's prime time. It's not even cold; it's just low. You know, like if we could get like two days of 50 degree weather and light rain, it can go back to being like this, and I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Do <laughs> you think we answered Jason Hart's question? I think so. Well, I don't know. I, I yeah, I think we did. I th- I think uh, I think Coke a I think a great choice, but I think I think uh, you could you could look at IR as a serious possibility also. You know, being too modest, well, just buy an IR dry suit, man. All right, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. But. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, let's go. You guys want to stay on the gear topic? No. All right. Love gear. Piranha's got a new boat out, the Macno. Um, it seems it's getting some praise from some of the fanboys out there. We're hearing some different reviews coming from here and there. Lewis, we'll start. No with names you. mentioned. No names mentioned. What yeah. do you? Th- what do you? Uh, what do you? What are you thinking about the Macno? 
This is Piranha's new. It's uh, targeted as the Friendly Creek boat. Is that am I saying that right? It looks looks a little wide for me. Um, have you paddled the nine R? I have. Gentlemen. Um, I paddled the 9R once on like class three and I thought it was pretty sweet, but a little bit small for me. And then I bought a large 9R kind of sight unseen and it's just not the same boat and I didn't like it at all. Really? Yeah. Um, but I think the little 9R is a sick boat. Yeah. It's weird how that happened because I paddled how much little... she, How much she weigh, Lewis? I had buck 85. So you'd buy that? You'd buy the smaller one if you were to if you were to buy one. Yeah, I would like to have one of those like in the quiver for racing, but uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird how uh, it's so weird how that the big one did just is a different boat. It just turned out to be a different boat. Rocket profile, everything's different on it. Huh. So I, it looks oh. well, Grace. You said earlier it looks like a. Uh, what'd you say it looks like? Well, uh, back to the Mac. No, it looks like a, yeah. a wave sport design. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's like There's a, a rocker on that thing. It's like we're going back to like 1999 technology. So, yeah. I mean, to me, the 9R with its whole shape, the rocker profile, and whatnot is where you want to be. And uh, man, they just really went back to a little tub piranha was winning with the nine R in my opinion, they're coming out with that. So boat. where, where do they go next? Make like a tornado type thing. <laughs> well, they can make a big or is it tornado. R. How do you pronounce that? I call it a tornado. I don't know, man. I'm not sure. I'm, I feel like, you know, the nine R is sick, but it's like, you want to have, you know, like a really easy boat for really running like the hardest white water like in the quiver right and like i feel like maybe the macno is kind of intended to move in that direction because it's like unless you weigh like 130 pounds or are as good at kayaking as gird like you're not going to really want to run i mean the nine r is a sick boat but it's not necessarily like the easiest boat right and i think there's something to be said for having like a really easy class five capable boat I, don't know, I think when you have like a twisty, like a top, like a rockered out boat that turns all easy and whatever, you can't, when you get in hard whitewater, you can't, you can't make it move. You're just correcting it. Yeah, I hear you. I agree with that to a point. For I sure. mean, I, I, I had the Shiva for years and I just felt like it was almost too easy for a boat to paddle. I was gaining no enjoyment from it, you know? I guess that was what I liked. I liked about the tunas. I feel like it kind of, uh. I kind of got to a point where I felt like I needed like a real easy old man boat, but I wanted something that was still like pretty dynamic, and I felt like that kind of kind of hit that spot for me. Hmm. But. Well, well, if you if you've paddled the Macno, send us an email or put a comment up. I really want to, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a Piranha fan, I'm a Piranha Kayaks fan, you know, along with several other brands. But I saw that one and I was just like, oh man, you know, just. Just didn't do anything for me. So, but if you're a lover of the Macno, let us know. I think this is where like Robert Pierce is going to start a podcast and start <laughs> dissing on IR. <laughs> I think the new Devil's Club suit is just a step in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. you want to hear a black guys? dry suit? <laughs> Speculate on how it might be. <laughs> right. Exactly. Let's just imagine what all this gear would be like. <laughs> give it like a, Listen. Give it a, I give it an F plus. <laughs> what I'm seeing here on this website. Look, look. it's a it's a 100% alternative fact that that boat is not where we want to be <laughs> at this point. <laughs> we need to get like Dave Fuseli on here because he's paddled both these boats. Although he's he's going to be hard pressed to, ah, to be a cheerleader for these things. Yeah, he, he, yeah. I, I would yeah. love to get Dave on the show because he'd be fun, but he wouldn't be the guy to talk to about. I'm gonna get him on. You know, what if he got on here and was like, "Well, this got this dry suit, dude. You sent it to me. The arm fell off. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'd be like, we're edit that out. <laughs> let's talk about paddles for a second. Yes, let's do talk about paddles because I ordered a paddle. You ordered a paddle. I ordered a paddle. You what know, I broke my paddle like two months ago. Well, I did, but I had I had a backup. I had an old AT here that I've been using, but it's been, I've been it's been very nerve wracking because I, the thing is 
really old it or has a crack in it as i've been expecting to break it any at any second um so but i ordered a, a, a adachi uh left hand control 186 bench shaft <laughs> two, two, 204 bench shaft Right. Were you just trying trying to ensure that if you ever broke or lost your battle, you have no option to borrow anything. All right. Well, let's just get, let's just get, let's just get to the, the most tangible, diff, the most tangible thing to discuss here, and that's the bench shaft. Uh, do we think the bench shaft is a, a, a ploy uh, developed uh, by Fallen Racers twenty years ago that sort of got adopted by paddle makers to sell more paddles? Yeah. What degree yes. offset did you get? Uh, 45. <laughs> I started, so I started using a bench shaft when I was probably 14 years old. And yeah. my super sophisticated theory on why it was a good idea was that Brent Weasel and Ian Wiley used them. And I wanted to be like those guys. So I got a bench shaft. Right. You, know, you, made, you, you, you probably had a double torque though, which is different than a bench shaft nowadays. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I had the, oh. old, the old original double torque that gives yeah. you like, extension it's the same as the ATs, pretty much except yeah. that it's asymmetrical also it has it's, some bend is to the right of the <laughs> right and i it used it i used it, it like nine years and then it when makes I was, for a great draw stroke on one side of the boat at least i mean you pull the blade under the boat basically a great sweep on the other it's like off for <laughs> right <laughs> as long as like your, your slalom course is all upstreams on the right side and the course is bending to the left you're in great shape <laughs> yeah but um, my feeling on the double torques or the bent shafts is that it it's heavier it's it breaks easier it's more expensive and it may have some dubious performance benefits or maybe it helps you if you really legitimately have tendonitis or something. John but Grace, what do you got? Anything really wrong with you, just get a straight shaft, man. Yeah. <laughs> did you really get a bit shaft weld? Well, I did. You know, I'll tell you why. It's because for the same reason that Lewis had a bench shaft, I kind of got a bench shaft also because during that time, it seemed like that's where everyone was going. But I used to get tendonitis at the beginning of the season when I was teaching really bad every year like clockwork. And, you know, with a bench shaft, when you reach your hand forward um, to, to put the paddle in, your pinkies are still completely on the – Grace is making a face. I could see it. And so it seemed to fix it. Uh, but I have to admit, even I think it's kind of a it's kind of a it's a it's a silly thing. But I've been using one for 15 years now. Well, my only experience I'm I'm not one a good one to talk about this. My only experience with a bench shaft paddle was what year was it? 2002. I broke a lot of paddles on a kayaking trip out out west. It was like a four month trip out there, and I was just going through these paddles. I was trying to just buy like a $60 paddle here or trade it up. And so I went through all these paddles and somebody was like, hey, I got this AT bench shaft. I'll sell it. It's like a $350 paddle. I'll sell it to you for 100 bucks." I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take it. And the, I'd never paddled a bench shaft in my life. And it was we were hiking into the Middle Kinks. That was the first time I was going to use it. And we uh, got on the river and we were went through day one. And we got to camp that night and I went across the river and I put the paddle on the trail and I put my breakdown together and I used it for the rest of the trip. (laughs) (laughs) Never paddled again, left it in there, told some people, somebody got it for free. (laughs) I don't know. So it's not for me, man. I I think it's a total, just complete weirdness. I think it's, uh, I don't think it makes any sense. I don't think there's any benefits. I think that there are, it's like Lewis said, they break more, they just everything about them is bad and they're not good and you should not paddle. You know, I, r- I rattle off the, my paddle statistics and I realize I, I sound pretty bad. So, but 204 <laughs> length, <laughs> are, we, are we all in agreement that someone who's six feet tall should be using a 204 these days? Is that, or is that back to being accepted knowledge? Maybe no. that's, that might be even the short side. No, I think that's a good good length for a, a six foot guy. And I had a conversation with someone about this. Geltman, Geltman's making a face. So I got I got to hear. No, it's that's in there. I don't know. It's long for a bench shaft. 
I'm six two and I have a two hundred three. What does that even mean? Long for a bench chef? In the range of what's cool? Are bench chefs longer <laughs> when they're the same length? What does that even mean? Uh, I mean, I think typically people go shorter with the bench chefs. See, that's sure. another. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't even want to get into it. <clears throat> My thoughts are this: somebody was talking about, well, you don't want to paddle that long because it's going to mess up your shoulders and whatnot. But this is the thing: when you're paddling class five, oftentimes you need not necessarily you're not in this position. I, I liken it to like trail running versus running on a track. A lot of times you're jumping, you're taking big steps, you're taking small steps. And while if you were paddling flat water, you may want a slightly shorter paddle to keep your alignment and everything, your top hand from being better or whatever. But if you're going over a drop and you need to dig in a little bit more stroke at the end or you're trying to correct your boat or you're having to like lean to the offside to keep an edge up and take a stroke, you need a longer paddle. I'm firmly convinced that 204 is a good length for a six-footer. All right. Okay, so left hand control, right? Well, I guess I know. no one's going to take your paddle. Well, but I have a th- I'll tell you, I'll tell you the reason behind this. There is a reason. I have a theory and I have data to back it up. You ready? So I learned to paddle. I learned to paddle at Valley Mill, right? With like we a had, 90 degree mohawk with no index. And that's just- right. 90 degree flat blade <laughs> mohawk, right? Okay. All of us, like 80% of us are lefties. <laughs> You can spot someone who learned to paddle with a 90-degree paddle with no offset because they're a lefty, right? Everyone from that generation. At some point along the way, Valley Mill uh, spent the big bucks and got those Norses with a spoon on it. But, uh, it's, like a, it's like a shovel. Um, I remember the intermediate step there that was uh, taking like, like a picnic knife and just like taping on all the uh, all the control. Yeah, oh, <laughs> but like there was like a uh, Eastern European slalom team who was all lefty for the same reason. It was like the uh, I don't know. It was where's Renata from? They're all lefties. And um, what's that? Czech. Was it Czech? Yeah, all those all those people are lefties too for the same reason. I've heard people say that uh, if you're right-handed, your right hand's stronger, so that should be the hand that you're like going looser, tighter, looser, tighter with all the time. And so that's why it makes sense to be left all right. All of us are right-handed. We're all left-hand control paddle. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a dozen of us out there. I'm going left. Still paddling. I'm getting a left-handed <laughs> paddle. I'm convinced. Well, I have tried over the years to, to break myself of that habit because if you break a paddle or lose a paddle, you know, no one has even break aparts nowadays only have one hole for, for right-hand control. You know what I mean? Uh, and you know, I've, it's useless. Like I'm, I cannot, I cannot use a righty paddle. I have tried over and over and over. I use, I use a 65 and it's just as bad. It's like if somebody breaks out the breakdown and it's like a 30 degree offset, it's yeah. like, you're like, can't control at all. Yeah. I'm glad you say that because I use 45 and 45. I consider it to be basically a flat bladed paddle. Yeah. You know, there's like no offset at 45 wow. degrees. So you guys both use bent shaft paddles. No, Gelman doesn't. No. Oh, well, thank God. I'm rethinking the bench shaft. When I do my when I in my wild water boat, I still use a straight shaft paddle, and I doesn't I don't even bat an eye. I, I, there's no transition. I could go back to a straight shaft without any problem. A lot of people rave about them. I've just that was my only experience. And who do you know who's good that uses a bench shaft? Dane. Does Dane use a bench shaft? I think so. So it's me and Dane. <laughs> well, you're in good, you're in good company. <laughs> I can't think anybody's using a bench shaft nowadays around me that I could think of. I, I can't either. I'm trying to picture yep. someone. I'm just trying to picture loading the boats up. Somebody. I don't know. I can't. I can't picture it. That's the other problem with the left hand control is when you're putting paddles on the roof, or paddles in the car, or paddles in the ski bag. The guy with the left hand control paddle is yeah. messing with the program. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Get it together. <laughs> All right. What do we got next? What's next? Let's hear. I'm not sure we got anything else. <laughs> we, we, we've we've rambled our way I'm, through I'm, another hour. I've probably yeah. made so many people upset. If we have any listeners after this show, <laughs> we'll know who's like the true fans. <laughs> oh, let's get into our rants and raves. Anybody got any rants and raves? 
Um, I got a rave. I'll throw it on out there. Big South Fork Gorge of the Cumberland River. You guys ever heard of it? Yeah, it's like a, it's like class four. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, it's like a class three four run. No dams. Uh, it's a big river. It's a full on river. It runs at ten thousand cfs all the time. It's in a huge national recreation area, the Big South Fort Gorge National Recreation Area. No one around. No crowds. Nobody up there. And. I mean, it was winter time, and we just paddled 12 miles of this river in this remote canyon in the middle of nowhere, and it just had every rapid had a big surf feature in it or, or, or something to do. And I haven't been over there in like a decade since I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm going to rave on the Big South Fork Gorge of the Cumberland because it, it was really good. It was really, really, really good. Man, I have a rant, but, you know, we did pool rolling sessions with my kids – uh, last Thursday, every Thursday night now here at WVU, we have pool rolling sessions brought brought to you by Pathfinder of West Virginia. And uh, it doesn't start till eight thirty night, but I brought my eight year old over there, and he did a roll. Man, he did, actually did eight rolls. We got done, and he got home at like ten thirty at night on a school night. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Asher stoked. Yeah. So pool rolling sessions, right? You, that's every every town, you know, whitewater. Maybe not, maybe not a whitewater park, but at least pool rolling sessions. Man, stated that is really sweet that we have out here is a kayak polo. Yeah, I think the weather has gotten bad enough and the water level has gotten low enough that I'm ready to jump back in on the kayak polo game, which is actually just, really fun. We could go back to the David Taylor model basin. <laughs> <laughs> I remember okay. that. Okay. That's a topic for another another day. Where where do you do your water polo at? Uh, at the the uh, it's kayak polo at the uh, just the pool here in Hood River. It's like a mile down the road. It's pretty fun. I bet. Man, that's a good idea. Get some kayak polo going. Well, there's no reason to go indoors. It's 65. It hasn't. We haven't had a night that hit freezing in maybe two and a half weeks or something like that. So, well, guys, we call it there. Let's call All it. Right. You got a phone call. You got to get on, right, Lewis? You got to jump. All right. All right. Rem- Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast uh, subscription service is. We love your viewer mail. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks a lot, Lewis. And we will try our celebrity guest next week.